The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. Well, good morning, for and thank us, you for joining us. Uh, my name is Darren Smith, Senior Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. Uh, it's good to have you with us. For many of you, this is old hat, but for some of you first-timers watching our pre-recorded sermon here, we want to especially again say thank you to Midwestern Seminary uh, for their generosity in helping us do this today, and also to say thank you for watching. You, you could watch a lot of things, and we're grateful and blessed uh, that you're watching with us today. Uh, I just also want to encourage you, if you're local to Kansas City, every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in our parking lot, 7301 Northeast 50th, uh, just north of Worlds of Fun, Tower View Baptist, we have a drive-in service where we do kind of a shorter version of this. You're welcome to come in your car, and uh, hopefully uh, within the coming weeks we'll have a space up to 50 people socially distant uh, where we can uh, have uh, some time for people to spread out a little bit as we do. Uh, just a reminder to our church and anyone watching, this online is very, we're, we're grateful for it, but we long for the day, we pray for this virus to end where we can congregate together uh, physically as much as possible, but we'll continue to pray for wisdom, for government leaders, uh, for our church leaders as we make decisions, and also, of course, for those affected uh, by the virus, both those who've lost loved ones, those who have sick ones, and for all those taking care of all those needs. We have a long way to go, but we are grateful for everyone. So thank you very, very much. Well, as we start our time together, we're going to read uh, in the book of James. Today's topic is, Lord, uh, how can I obey? How can I obey, Lord, is our topic of our series, Street Level Faith. We're going to end out the first chapter of James. Uh, we are at a snail's pace, as we often do at our church, but I want to read God's Word with you, so I invite you to James 1, starting in verse 19, and we will read down to verse 27. James 1, 19 through 27. This is the ESV version. Hear God's Word today. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 4 verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intensely at himself in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forget, forgets what he was like. But verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and per, uh, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Finally, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled, that pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray and we'll start our study today. Father, as we come before your word, we are once again reminded that from this passage, we are to receive it humbly. Father, we are to, to obey it quickly. And Father, mostly we're just to be transformed by it. Father, as we come to you today, we confess our sins. They are so, so many. Yet, Father, we're grateful that in your son, Jesus Christ, 
the God-man, perfectly man, perfectly God, who gave his life for us, who bore the wrath, who was buried, who rose again, that we have forgiveness of sin, both past, present, and future. Father, that's not a credit card to get a, a, a free license to sin that we might pay back our debt. The debt has been paid, but Father, we are grateful that even in our unintentional sins and our intentional ones, the things we have not obeyed in this passage and the things we didn't know we should have, that your grace covers a multitude. Father, thank you so much. Give us wisdom today. We love you, Lord, and we want this to be about you. May you turn hearts to you for those Christians to grow them, for those unbelievers and how grateful we are they're listening today, that you would change them supernaturally and convert them, transform them, regenerate them, and save them by grace through faith in Christ alone. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've probably heard that expression before, face the music. And here's where that phrase comes from. And I think it's applicable to our lesson today as we go through. Many years ago, a man wanted to play in the Imperial Orchestra, but he couldn't even play a note. He had no musical ability. But since he was a man of great wealth and influence and his family had a name, he demanded to those in charge to join the orchestra so he himself could join in the performance before the king. And the conductor agreed to let him sit in the second row of the orchestra based on all the factors he brought to the table. And so even though he couldn't read the music, he was given a flute. And when a concert began, he would simply raise his instrument, pucker his lips, and move his fingers in the greatest Oscar-winning performance known to man at the time. He went through all the motions of playing, but he never made a sound. Yet this deception went on for a couple years, and one day a new conductor who did not know the man or his background or his lack of playing ability came on the scene. And he told the orchestra that he wanted to personally audition all the players to see how well they could play. And the audition would weed out those who did not meet the standards and would dismiss those who, who, from the orchestra uh, who simply did not do it. So one by one, the players performed in the presence of the new conductor. And frantic with worry, this man, who, who was fearful of his turn, pretended to be sick. And the conductor sent his personal doctor to this man, and they examined him, and they declared him to be perfectly well. The conductor insisted that the man appear and demonstrate his skill. And shamefacedly, and to his credit, the man had to confess that he was a phony, he was a fake. And that was the day he had to, as the expression goes, face the music. You see, many people go through the motions in a similar way to the Christian life. They attend church, youth group, even online church, even drive-in church in these COVID days. Recite Bible verses, sing the songs, they do all the right things. But in reality, they are like that man, just simply a phony or a fake. And a time is coming when everyone will be called to stand before the judge of heaven, by which no phony, no man can ever stand, and they will too face the music. No one will be able to hide in the crowd like that man. The phonies, so to speak, will be separated from the true players. Or to put in Jesus' words, the goat will be separate from the sheep. Ecclesiastes 12.14, Solomon said, For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or bad. And this is where it gets interesting, because as pastors, we are, we are, we are uh, physicians of the souls. We're doctors of the souls, the old guys said. And any congregation probably has hypocrites and probably has real Christians. Yes, Tower View, even in our midst, I'm sure that's true. The former, the, 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 the phonies seem to dismiss warnings, but the latter, those true Christians saved by grace, 
they often get demoralized when sermons like this come up. But I want to remind you this morning that James is facing a similar situation. Far be it from James not to include a warning for us to separate the phonies from the real guys, the, 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 the true players from those who are just simply on the team. And, and this is a caution to us that God would give us pause as we go through this street-level faith. And one of our greatest nightmares for all of us here and all those in the sound of my voice, whether digital or physical, is that you might believe yourself to be saved, but really in reality, you're no more than that man who played the flute, but really didn't play the flute. So are you sure of your salvation this morning? Do you really know Jesus? Do you know what it looks like to be in the faith? And do you know what it looks like to be out of the faith? You see, the big idea today is simply this. If you only obey God and his word when it seems fair or valuable or profitable to you, well, that's not really obedience at all. And in fact, it shows what's really going on under the hood. See, God is not deceived by the externals. If we say we are truly Christian, yet we continually walk in a spirit of moral darkness, we are lying according to 1 John 1, 6. It makes little difference whether such lying is intentional or we've simply been deceived by the superficial Christianity of our time. But the good news today, if you're listening to this, is this. God can thaw cold hearts. God can open closed hearts. God can gentle hard hearts. He can heal broken hearts. This mighty God can undeceive deceived hearts, and He can delight despairing hearts. Through the gospel, we've been given a new heart, but it's not a perfected heart, is it? That will only happen when Christ returns, when we are resurrected to our glorified resurrection body. But as new-hearted people, we are still so easily deceived. So let us not trust our hearts, Jeremiah 17, 9, but let us trust in Christ. And this morning, what I want to show you, a little bit different take on this passage. I preached this passage before, and there's good wisdom here about you know, not being angry, being quick to hear, about the mirror analogies, and that's all good. But I think I want to take a different angle and, and to the original meaning, the intent of the text. But I want to show you in James how he warns and protects against self-deception. James warns and protects against self-deception. Two points today. The first is the terrifying possibility of self-deception. The terrifying possibility of self-deception. And secondly, the promise of deliverance from self-deception. The terrifying possibility and the promise of deliverance from self-deception. Deception. Let's look at that first one, the terrifying possibility of self-deception. You see, self-deception should be a terrifying thing. If, and I like to use running analogies. You all know the church, and it probably bores you, but go with it. If I show up on a marathon, convincing myself that sitting on a couch, never running a mile, and I'm going to run and be okay and not get injured, I'm fooling myself. If I show up to the strongest man competition and have never lifted a weight, I'm fooling myself to think I can compete with those men who are bigger than most of us put together. And so too it is spiritually, isn't it? Those who are self-deceived have several factors. And I just want to list some, and these some will come from the book of James, but we're going to broaden our search in Scripture as well. One factor that people are self-deceived in, and because we need to be aware of how self-deceiving we can be, is when we are self-deceived, it's like a soothing thing to us. Those people who are self-deceived, number one, it's a soothing thing. They don't have a reason for alarm. They're asleep in a burning house. Charles Simeon, one of the old dead guys, said, all see how others deceive themselves. Yet none of whatever class imagine themselves to be in any great danger of self 
delusion. Look, you can be watching this today and you can be as comfortable as a, as a mouse in a pantry, eating whatever you want, doing whatever you want, and you see no problem with where you are spiritually. You might be self-deceived. Another factor about self-deceived people, it is so prevalent. There are multitudes of people who proclaim to know Jesus Christ who will be stunned on judgment day to be excluded from the righteous. It's as Jesus said in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and this in your name and this in your name? But he says those, those shocking, arresting words, away from me, I never knew you. Another factor of self-deceived people, not only is it soothing, it's prevalent, but it's also so easy. Nothing is easier than being self-deceived. For what each man wishes, that he also believes to be true. Little is harder in this life than to entertain the real possibility that you have really been faking it for years being a Christian. And James is going to speak to this in a minute. And yet, if you never admit this to yourself, it's harder to see still to see how you could be saved because you think you got it. It's easy to be self-deceived. It's also very natural. In fact, before God gives us faith, we are self-confident. We trust our deceitful hearts, which tell us something that when we are really nothing. Another factor of those who are self-deceived, it's a form of bondage. If a good man were duped by, uh, uh, by a bad thing, there might be a hope of realizing his error. But when a bad man dupes himself, when he convinces himself or herself that, that, that uh, he's okay, that I'm okay, he needs a miracle. The idolater is hooked on idolatry. A whole area of freedom has died and he's not able to save himself. And so it is so easy to be in self-deception and to be bonded to it, but not even know your chain, ball and chain to it like a prisoner is in jail. And finally, another factor of those who are self-deceived, broadly speaking from Scripture, it always ends very, very badly. Unless your pride is broken, the self-deceived person will burn in an oven of God's wrath, to be very, very frank. So friend, James warns them here in verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, those he regards as to be Christians. These He's writing to Jewish Christians, but he's warning them, do not be self-deceived. Do not think just because, one, you're Jewish, and two, you profess Christ, that you're truly in Christ. Even they needed this reminder. And so I bring this to you, knowing that many of you watching this, many of you hearing this, truly are Christian, but some of you are not, and you think you are. And I want to remind you of that. Notice verse 22. We're going to be skipping and jumping. This isn't your classic exegetical sermon, but I want you to see this, because he's comparing and contrasting here, and it took me a lot of study to see this, but I want you to see this. Even there are two references here where he warns them. Notice verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. It literally means to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. It means to delude yourself, to think you got this. Well, I must be a Christian because I'm around people that do. Again, that's like saying you must be the smartest person in the world because you're sitting around geniuses. You may be the smartest person, I don't know. But generally speaking, just because you're around something doesn't mean you are. But he warns them, do not deceive yourselves. Notice the compare and contrast. That's the first warning he gives. The second warning and the terrifying possibility, point one of this uh, of being self-deceived, is that he says that your own heart can deceive you. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious 
and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Notice that phrase, but deceives his heart. Literally deceives himself or herself. As a pastor, James knows that many people merely are going through the motions of serving God, but their speech gives them away. There's a hollow ring to it all. There's an echo with no one there to listen. And although they may not realize it by their words and by their actions, these two warnings of verses 22 and 26, or a lack of them, they have deceived themselves. That terrible possibility has become their reality. Their heart's not right with God, their heart's not right with their fellow man, and their attempt to hide this lack in love only heightens their self-deception. Literally, their religion, as he just said, is worthless. So what does the hypocrite falsely believe? We know there's two warnings. He says, again in verse 22, that you can deceive yourself. Again in verse 26, that you can deceive your own heart. But what, what, are, the, what are the things that these people falsely believe? There are two things that he tells us here as well, that these people who are self-deceived, who think themselves to be saved, actually have. How about verse 25? He says that the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer of one who for, uh, excuse me, being a hear, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, here it is, he will be blessed in his doing. James is a New Testament writer using an Old Testament phrase. The hypocrite, the phony, the fake believes he's in God's favor and is already saved. Look, we've picked on the prosperity gospel a little bit in the last few weeks, but this is how it is. We think that when we come to worship some groups that we can manipulate God. If we do, you know, get your praise on, let the blessings fall down. If we worship God in a certain way, God's going to come and say, man, they got it together over there. Let me go bless those people. Friends, the deceived person thinks he's blessed simply because He's, he's trying to manipulate God and who he is. That's the first warning he says about what they falsely believe. But then he also says they're religious. Again, verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious, it's a positive connotation. It's someone who says, you know, I love God. I fear God. I want to do the right things. But hypocrites typically have a very high self-esteem and they consider themselves to be very devout. This is, as, uh, as some congregations have, the, uh, uh, the appeasement of worship. This is the appeasement that comes where we're fearful of what God may do to us, so we go and worship Him and try to appease Him. We, we get on our knees, say a thousand Hail Marys. We go light a thousand candles with all respect. We do a lot of things because, well, we don't want to be on God's bad side, so I've got to look religious so that I can appear to be good in front of people and especially in front of God. But someone who's deceived believes these things, but he's severely mistaken. That person is in presumption, and he has a worthless counterfeit assurance. Just as with counterfeit money, if you really want to know, you can find out. God's Word gives us absolutely reliable tests, and James, some here, about whether or not you're a Christian. I mean, suppose someone gave you a bag filled with 20s. I mean, you might consider keeping and spending them... But if you're suspected of counterfeits, you, you might not know it in your life. Literally, you could be put in jail for it. And the presumptions will be caught red-handed on Judgment Day, just as those who use counterfeit money will. So friends, where does this come from? What are the telltale signs, some more signs that you may be self-deceived? Well, James goes on. He says, first off, that the, someone who is self-deceived, 
has an annoyance with preaching and counsel that pricks the conscience. I'm going to ask you to go to James chapter 2. It's a little out of the range we're at, but it fits in the context. James 2.19 says this. Many of you have this memorized. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Look, the hypocrite is slow to hear. The hypocrite is quick to speak. They talk back and they're quick to wrath or annoyance, at least in spirit. They are those who, like the demons, are annoyed at the preaching of God's word. Look, you may put on a face for others to say, that's a great sermon, pastor, but if it has no change in your life over months, years, decades, friend, I want to ask you, do you really know Jesus or do you know religion? The habitual reaction of working against his becoming righteous, his growing in righteousness, is the person who is not truly listening to what James 1.19 says. What's another mark if you're self-deceived? Go back to James 1, verse 21, is that you're unwilling to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Look, let me be very clear here. Saints of God war against sin, and we will, Christian, until the day comes home. But the person that James is trying to, to exhort, to examine, their faith are those people who, when they have sin, they make peace with it. I'm okay with it. Their conscience isn't pricked. They don't see any growth in holiness. They are people who are okay with the status quo of sin in their lives. A third thing that they do is they constantly fail to practice the word despite good intentions. You can see that in verses 22 to 24. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You could hear sermons and great sermons. You could go to revival after revival. You could go to sermon audio, to YouTube, to whatever preacher's best out there and listen and listen and listen. But if it never has pricked your heart or changed you, let me say again, you can still be lost. And finally, he tells us once again that an unbridled and uncontrolled tongue is a telltale sign of someone who does not know Jesus Christ. If anyone thinks himself religious, verse 26, and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And again, his religion is worthless. Look, he, he says what he thinks. A hypocrite never reigns in his speech. For example, this person who's a hypocrite claims to be a Christian without warrant when he should wait until God makes him a new man to make such a claim. Professing Christians, those of you listening, can I just ask you, Please don't assume because you turned on a religious channel. And again, thank you so much for watching, especially those who are not Christian, but I'm especially speaking to those who, who have a, a flavor of religion in their lives but aren't sure whether they'll spend eternity with Christ. Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5. These marks that I've listed rather quickly from the text, when they're routine in your life and while you remain unchanged in your life, are marks that you do not know Jesus Christ. Your hope of heaven is wishful thinking. Your house, as Matthew 7 said, is like that man who built their house on the sand. And I exhort you to repent, especially in these days. Maybe this virus has caused you to question whether you know Christ. Friend, can I encourage you to reach out to us? We're not going to bring judgment to you. We will obviously bring God's word to you. We want to walk with you through this with compassion and grace and mercy, but with the understanding that we want to examine ourselves like the person in the mirror who looks at the Word and doesn't forget what they see, but who looks at it no matter how hard it comes at them because that is what matters at the end of days. 
So see again, there is the terrifying possibility of self-deception. That's point number one. But secondly, there is a promise of deliverance from self-deception. Aren't you grateful that God always brings good news in these days? There is the terrifying possibility you could be self-deceived, but there's also the promise of deliverance from self-deception. Let me just say a quick word here to my Christian friends. I am confident that many of you watching this and hearing this, who we know, especially those covenant members, we know you're real Christians. Not because you signed a membership covenant or, or you jumped through the hoops of membership as great and as biblical as we believe them to be. But we have seen fruit in your lives. I'm deeply concerned, though, that, you, that, that some of you who are really Christian might lose your assurance that 1 John talks about by misapplying warnings meant for those who really are deceived. But by God's grace, Job faced and overcame this temptation, and I believe you can too. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He that trusts in his heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely, he shall be delivered. Whether you feel, let me just put this in simple language, whether you feel saved or not is not the purpose. That ebbs and flows. That is not an indicator of your true spiritual state. So Christian, let me remind you that the Word of God is the only reliable test to see whether you're in the faith. And it is reliable. It is inerrant, inspired. It is, it is authoritative for all matters of faith and practice. But believers, you can have a strong assurance of salvation and you should crave that. Look, even as a pastor, I've struggled some days. Lord, how as a, a, a man who claims to know God, how could I say that? How could I do that? And it's not cheap grace. God's grace covers us. But even as I struggle with that at some times, let us remind ourselves what 1 John 5.13 says. John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And so James says there is a terrifying possibility. Point one, you are not saved. You're a hypocrite. You're a phony like that musician who played the flute. But there's a real promise given by God himself that you can be delivered from this self-deception. Let's get to that. You know, I want to just remind you that counterfeit money may be convincing at first. And it looks undetectable, but if you know what it really looks like, you can see it. You know, I look these up, and, and you've heard these illustrations, many of you before, but uh, it, it, has to, it has clear uh, money, true money has clear Federal Reserve and Treasury seals. You know, you put it up to a light, you can usually see a watermark of a president. It has fine lines and borders, it has a red uh, and blue fibers. And uh, it has things on there that clearly distinguish it. And if you honestly compare it to real money, you know what's true and what's not. So if you honestly compare your own heart and life with the biblical description of a real Christian believer, let me say, you will be able to judge yourself. And it is like taking a course on how to spot counterfeit money and then being willing to take your stash of money and saying, this is real stuff. God promises deliverance from self-deception, but it is a conditional Promise. 2 Peter 2.10, excuse me, 2, uh, 2 Peter 1.10 says this. Peter says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. This assurance is not a carrot on a stick or a bone. A greyhound races around a track. This assurance is something that comes through the word of God and only through the word of God. So friend, I want to remind you today that the basic condition of God's word is enough for you to know whether you're a Christian. You don't need a special revelation or a warm, fuzzy feeling. You don't need to look at when you wrote your name in the back of your Bible to determine whether or not you're a Christian. 
Real faith in Scripture comes with the fruit of Scripture. Here are five markers I'll give you, subpoints to the second main point from real Christians from James 1, 19-27. Here they are. Number one, subpoint one. A real Christian hears the Word of God patiently. A real Christian hears the Word of God patiently. Look back at verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This may be a good pray, uh, this may praise a good patient listener in general, and there's some general application there. But I think it has special reference to God's word, church. The context favors this. Note the references in, in verses 18, 21, 22, and 25 about the word. A real Christian hears the word patiently. As a believer, you're to respond positively to the Bible and pursue every opportunity to know God's word and, and know him better. But at the same time, you should be cautious about becoming a teacher or, or a preacher or being under those who describe uh, a deep internal resentment and, re, and rejection to the Word of God. You have to be careful that even those you listen to, even those things you do, are not things you're suddenly rejecting God from. When the Word of God comes, you hear it patiently, you hear it humbly. And that is our second point. A real Christian hears the word patiently. But notice verse 21, he hears it humbly. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. That's the ESV translation. I think the better translation from the Greek is humbly the implanted word. Receive means to indicate approval or conviction by accepting or being open to or approve or accept. When the word of God comes in your life, you say, okay. When the word of God comes in, you wait on it patiently if you're a true Christian and you accept it humbly. There are days, Christian, if you're honest, you don't want to hear it. When you're in sin and a brother or a sister or a group of them come to you and say, look, we love you. We see this in your life. You don't want to receive it humbly. But at the end of the day, the heartbeat of a true Christian, by the conviction of the Spirit and the power of God, will accept it humbly. In this context, it is an attitude of submission to teaching and counsel of the Word. And the difference between a true Christian and not a Christian is how you handle the word. A hypocrite can only keep it up for so long, but a true Christian may mourn it, may reject it for a season, but they will come back to it because God will not let you go too far for the holiness of his name, Hebrews chapter 12. So a real Christian, a marker of a real Christian from James, the positive ability of self-deception to get out of it is that you hear the word patiently, you hear the word humbly, and thirdly, you hear the word practically. Hearing comes verse, first in verses 19, but doing it must follow. There's a biblical indicative that leads to imperative. There's, there's information that leads you to action with the force of God's divine command. Faith with respect to the gospel inspires obedience with respect to the law. Have you been changed in your behavior by what you've been taught with the word of God? Can you look back on your life Watcher today and know for sure that there has been an utter change in your life? Have you received the word humbly? Have you received the word openly? Have you seen a change in your life? I mean, that's what this is about. You're going to obey the word to the most practical levels of your life. How you treat your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you handle time when you're working at home and there's not a boss or a coworker watching you with the temptation to surf the web all day and not do things that you're supposed to do. I mean, run the list. 
If the Word of God is in your life, if you're a real Christian, you will mess up at times. But the runner, the barometer of your life will, will say, Lord, there's a lot of junk in my life, and I want to see what your Word says. And Lord, I can't do it perfectly, but by your grace and your Spirit, I want to do it. Lord, help me in my unbelief. So a Christian not only is one, according to James, who hears the Word patiently, receives it humbly, seeks out the practicality of it, number four, a real Christian continues in the Word perseveringly. There's some endurance behind that. Look at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres. Perseveres. What is he saying? God gives a persevering, living faith to those who are truly in the faith. I mean, haven't you ever wondered about Jesus' words in Matthew 22? Jesus said, he or she who endures to the end will be saved. So God, I mean, is it like survival the fittest? I mean, is Darwin right? Not at all. Darwin's not right. What is he saying? It's a reminder back to what he told us last week. Do you remember what he said in verse 18? He said, God by his own will has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Look, a real Christian continues in the word perseveringly because God has called you and God will not stain his name with people he has called unto salvation. God will let you, like a dog on a leash, go out for a little bit, but at some point, you dog owners know this, when the leash hits it, it it's like, it just, it, 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 you have to jerk it back because there's no more line. For the holiness of his name, he will bring you back. Is your faith enduring? Is, are you doing what we looked at in verse, verses in the early part of this? Have you counted it all joy? When you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness, verse 4 of chapter 1, has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The evidence that you are saved, if you're saved today, is not that you work harder, not that you're more religious, but even in your hardest trials, whether that is from your own sin, or God providentially plops something in your lap, that you look at Him and say, Lord, I don't know what the next day looks like, but by grace, this day, I'll trust what you give me. You do it perseveringly. And Lord, you will carry me when I cannot. So real Christian, according to James, hears the word, patiently, receives it humbly, obeys it practically, continues in the word perseveringly. And the last positive of a Christian, a real Christian, is this. A real Christian lives the word comprehensively. Verses 26 and 27. A real Christian lives the word comprehensively. Genuine faith changes your speech. Genuine faith changes your compassion. Genuine faith changes your moral purity. And it changes it radically. Look, there are a lot of good people in this world. Good in the sense that he's a good guy, he's a good guy. There's a lot of people who do a lot of good. And, and every now and then in Facebook groups I'll see around our city, you know, someone will do something amazing for someone else and you'll always see someone and they get a thousand likes and kudos because of it. Well, that just shows there's good people out there. Friend, apart from the grace of God, we have nothing good in us. Let us remind ourselves of that. If anything, that's common grace of God giving people the ability to be kind. But if you've truly been saved, it's not just a one-off deal. It's the pattern. It's the backbone of your life. And what James is telling them is that if you are a true Christian, if you really are what you say you are, if you've really been saved, then you're going to have a pure and undefiled religion before God. 
Notice he doesn't say that you're going to live perfectly. He simply says that you're going to seek the one who is perfect, who is pure, who is undefiled, and by his grace seek to live that out comprehensively. These exemplify the radical, general, all-encompassing moral call that is ours. Christian, now let me just say this as an aside. If you truly are saved, your ethics do not change based upon the context, people, and situations you're in. A lie is still a lie, no matter if your boss is pressuring you. Adultery is still wrong, no matter what goes through your mind or what you're watching on the internet. Your money is still God's, and everything that he has and given you is still something you're entrusted to. When you are truly saved, it really, like point three, it's practical, but by golly, it changes your life. Visiting and taking care of widows and orphans and those who can't, by the world's standards, be successful is what gives you joy because those are the people that God said are are true and and blessed in spirit, Matthew chapter 5. So do you relate to the word in this way? Don't say you can't tell because God will, will, will give you a sound conclusion. If you say honestly, yes, by grace I do, then Christian, that's a great encouragement for you today. But if you're watching this and you've been playing the game, if you've been playing church, if you're sitting on our membership rolls, and I have no one in mind, let me just show my cards, no one in mind. But I feel the context demands me to say this. If you've been playing your cards as a Christian, just going through the motions, serving on this, doing this, putting out the face, if there's one thing this COVID virus reminds you of, it's, it's really this. Who are you trusting? Are you trusting your ability to perform a religious act? Or have you trusted once and for all the gracious salvation that has come through the one death, the one burial, the one resurrection, which is our one faith given to us by grace in the name of Jesus Christ alone? Friend, if you find more joy in how you perform religious acts than the joy of knowing that even when you do the greatest deed that God gets the glory, your heart should have a heart check right there. I don't know if you're self-deceived today, but I would encourage you, as James encouraged these folks to ask that question, Lord, how can I obey you? Because it really gets very practical, even to the street level. Let's pray today as we close. Father, I come before you today knowing this is not, and, and having looked at old studies, having looked at old things as, as I've grown in grace through the knowledge of your word. So isn't it traditionally how this is preached? Father, we don't want just a moralism type sermon just to be better people, to listen better. All good things, Lord, you've given us. The ultimate purpose of this passage, Lord, is to show us that the gospel of your son is the greatest gift that we have. And it's also the greater, greatest divider of the things that we have and the people we know, including those within our own ranks. Father, I'm praying for those watching today who've never come to know Jesus Christ praying that you would draw them to the grace that is yours through Jesus, that show them their sin, humble them in their sin, but Father, lavish on them the love that you still love the world with when your Son came. Father, I'm praying for those today who have been uh, deceived, self-deceived by themselves and their religious acts, that they would put aside the phoniness and the fakeness and And Lord, put aside all that the deception has brought them and you would open their eyes like you would and and did Zacchaeus and, and, and so many, Lord, to see the grace that is yours, that they would by faith through grace accept Jesus Christ. For Christians today who may hear a sermon like this and do as we often do and say, am I in, am I in, am I in? Father, through your word, through your spirit, as you witness to our spirits, Romans 8, remind us that we are yours by faith in Christ. 
Father, we don't want to just do better. We want to humbly receive the word to grow closer to you. Father, we've called this series Street Level Faith because these really ask questions about where we are. So Father, let it be practical. Let it be comprehensive. But Father, let it glorify your name. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.